previously on No Cap Sports. So I want to give the gay ball to Deion Sanders, A, for bringing exposure, shining light on HBCUs and uh, doing the whole spill about bringing us about importance and uh, bridging the, the, the resources gap. But also being the sacrificial lamb for what is a special PV run. Because when we get in the swag championship, we are kicking they ass, no doubts about it. So thank you, Dion, for setting the stage for a very competitive swag championship game. Thank you for being able to put us on national television and embarrass you in front of all your fans, Cowboys fans, Falcons fans, people that watched your show at some point, people that saw you as a that was a, the dude wearing the, the Afro backpedaling at the NFL Combine. Thank you, brother, for giving, allowing Preview to have that spotlight and setting us up for success. So I appreciate it. I love everything that you've done for HBCU Swag Football, and I am ready to kick y'all's ass in front of a national audience. Oh, okay, goddamn. I got to give you the floor, bro. You said, you said, and I'll quote, y'all was going to beat them in front of a national audience. Y'all went on ESPN, Swag Championship, prime time, three o'clock, and lost 27 to 10, bro. Mm. How that happen after you was talking like that, bro? Put my glasses on for this analysis. Um, first of all, you're talking to 2021 SWAC Western Division champion before you address anything else to happen. So start yeah. off with that on the basis. So, uh, yeah, you know, we had a, a really good season. We had a really good defense all year. We didn't play our best ball down the end of the stretch run. We ended the season on a four-game loser streak, which isn't the best. But, you know, uh, honestly, you know, the, the offense wasn't, wasn't able to produce the amount of points that we needed to get into the flow that they needed to get into to compete with, uh, with Dion and uh, Shiloh. So, or uh, Shadur, actually. So, yeah, it was disappointing. Um, it was a bad way to end the season, send the seniors out. But please don't forget that we were picked fifth, no, fourth in the SWAC Western Division's preseason, um, preseason poll. So, the fact that we were even in Jackson playing the game is a damn good accomplishment in itself. And I have to commemorate our team on that. But at the end of the day, you know, every game has a winner, every game has a loser, and we were just on the losing side of that game. So um, it was tough, definitely tough. Sounds like you're proud to get a consolation prize. You know, we did better than we were supposed to. We won the list. We still played in the game. <laughs> I mean. Bro, you know, y'all lost, but you want to really know who won? Who won? Those kids in Africa who got the PV. <laughs> Swag championship T-shirts, bro. I ain't gonna lie, the swag not coming like that. They probably printed them up once the third quarter started. They was like, we're gonna make sure we don't have enough material in the swag to cover two two winners. So I don't, I don't think they had enough prepared for us. Not gonna lie, but <laughs> maybe they had like five or six shirts. I don't know. They were able to look nice on my body too. But you know, it is what it is. They uh, they're a really good team. They got they got a lot of good guys out there. Some talented guys on offense. Um, that D line really gave us problems up front. Talking about with our protections and protecting Puma, so yeah, it was definitely something to where, um, yeah, the offense just couldn't get on track, couldn't put string drives together, put, could put couldn't put points on the board, and uh, when you're playing in the game with that magnitude, that's really hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. You have your, your starter pulled at the beginning, you go into halftime or one a field goal game, and you leave at the third quarter down three possessions. You, you just you can't you can't get put your you can't put yourself in positions and hold like that. And that's that's what happened. Yeah, bro. and you know we still mess with you, you know all of that, bro. But y'all lost in every facet of the game, bro. You can't win a game like that. Because even the band lost, bro. Even the band lost. I refuse to say that. Can't get a win. I refuse like to that, say bro. that. I refuse uh, to say that. I take the the Marjorie Storm versus any band in the land 
So yeah, the undefeated actually just came out with an article a couple weeks ago talking about ranking all the HBCU bands. And uh, the Marty Stone was first over uh, what they call they the Mouth of the South, uh, Sonic Jukebox, whatever, whatever it's called. <laughs> I know Mythic got no band, so I mean it is what it is. We, but... we not in the swag. Why you got to bring us into? We I'm just saying, play, like, bro. it was you was coming real hot with it. I'm just making sure, like, you understand, like, the, the environment that we play our games that you're not accustomed to. It. You're not, you can't even, you can't even speak to it, brother. But, you know, enough with the hostility. I just, you know, we, I'm, every loss in every phase of the game, every facet of the game, no, that band, our band took over. I ain't gonna lie. But we'll leave yeah. it at that, you know. Yeah. Good season to those guys. Good season. Hope that, uh, just in terms of carrying on the conference legacy, I hope that they can go to Atlanta. And beat up on South Carolina State, and uh, and bring the bring the celebration bowl trophy back to the sweat. That's all I can ask for. Anyway, welcome back, episode six, No Cap Sports Podcast. And you know what that six stands for today? The number of passes that Prairie View A&M's quarterback completed Saturday in the Swag Championship, man. Six for nineteen, so we're gonna roll with it. So now we're gonna talk about big time. FBS football, and we finally got our college football playoff rankings. They're official now. The matchups are set. We got number one, Alabama, going to have to play number four, Cincinnati. Number two, Michigan is going to take on number three, Georgia. And uh, to round it out, we got number five, Notre Dame, number six, Baylor. So looking at the rankings off the rip, were they correct? Yeah, for the most part, I think that like I guess the the main debate would would be uh you know Michigan versus Alabama at one, um but honestly Alabama has the best win in this college football season and then the toughest conference in uh in America so to kind of kind of hard to argue that you know the, the committee has got a lot of criticism especially with the whole Michigan Michigan State debacle early in the uh in the ranking early in the season but um. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, with Baylor being Oklahoma State, a lot of this stuff kind of took care of itself, honestly. So, yeah, I think they got it, I got they got the top four right. Who, who, who played the hardest schedule, uh, Bama or Michigan? There's nothing like going – I mean, speaking transparently, Big Ten football makes me sleepy. Makes me sleepy. So, I don't know how – I mean, those are probably tough, hard, those games. But for my money, there's nothing like going to the SEC and having to play, play a top 25, top 30 team each and every week. So, I mean, but that's not the case for Alabama, in all honesty. Alabama didn't have to play a top 30 team every week. Yes, they beat the current number one team, who was Georgia. So I think that alone puts them at, uh, you know, above Michigan. But throughout the season, they didn't have the, uh, they didn't have a lengthy list of ranked wins, if you think about it. You look at who they played this season. They beat number 20, a uh, then ranked number 21 Arkansas team. That was their best win, huh, Arkansas? Yeah. And then they also beat a number, a then-ranked number 12 Ole Miss team, a then-ranked number 11 Florida team. And they started out with Miami, who was ranked 14 at the beginning of the season. And we know where Miami is now. Yeah. So to the- say Alabama played all of this elite competition is not necessarily true. Yes, did they play uh, SEC schedule? Yes, but are these teams necessarily ranked at the end of the year? Not necessarily. The only two teams I think that are still ranked are Ole Miss. And I think I think it might just be Ole Miss and Georgia. Yeah, because um, Florida barely even made a bowl game. He's six and six. But yeah. I, I think there was only one SEC big team matchup, and that was Auburn Penn State. And Penn State came out with the dub in that. So I mean, yeah. it's pretty even. So I, I guess just because they have the best win out of both of those teams uh, beating Georgia, I guess you could give them number one. But I think I speak for the majority of people when I say. Just go ahead and run it back between Bama and Georgia in the semifinal. Don't nobody want to see that in the finals, bro. I think you should run it back SEC championship. Winner goes to the uh, national championship. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off of that, that would have happened if they didn't disrespect Cincinnati. It's very disrespectful to put an undefeated conference champion. That, that's the two big things, right? Undefeated conference champion, uh, Cincinnati team at number four. This isn't the fourth best team in college football. This isn't the fourth best team out of this group based on how the regular season was. Based on the regular season, Cincinnati should be in my two or three spot, in my opinion. This is a team that has, look at this, look at this. Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati. These are the three teams with top uh, 10 wins in the final college football playoff ranking. 
Notre Dame is number five. Cincinnati beat them uh, early in the season, convincingly. So you're so telling me – Who are you putting them over? If you're going to put them over Michigan, who just beat Ohio State or Georgia, think, just, that was undefeated think, and lost to Alabama. Like, are you, which, one are you, which one are you putting Cincinnati – which team are you, are you putting Cincinnati over? I think Georgia has to move to that number four spot. They're the only team in the top four who doesn't have an end-of-year top ten ranked win. The only team in the top four without that end of year top ten ranked win. I mean, Alabama got I, I, it. I, Alabama got it in Georgia. Michigan got it in Ohio State, and Cincinnati got it in their win over Notre Dame. Georgia doesn't have a top ten end of year rank win. That is true. Yeah, think about it. You can only play the schedule that's assigned to you at the end of the at the beginning of the season. At the beginning of the season, that was what a top five win. That was supposed to be one of these wins that we look like at a, like a Michigan Ohio. You talking about you talking about Clemson, the Clemson win. Yeah. Okay. In that case, in that case, Cincinnati has a win over Notre Dame. They beat Houston, beat SMU, and Indiana was ranked when they played them. Mm. So I mean, Cincinnati, I'm just Cincinnati really committee, played the schedule. I don't think they've they ever had. The I don't. I don't think there's ever been a drop from one to four in uh, on the final rankings. So. I mean, I can see what you're saying. I don't disagree per se, but just the way that the committee is set up and Gary Barter just having some inside knowledge about how they think, I really don't think that they would, that was a possibility for Georgia ever to go from one to four or losing Alabama. I mean, but anything, it's, it's one thing, you know, to lose, but they got blown out. Like, they got beat down. Yeah. It was over in the third quarter. It was a very convincing Alabama win. Georgia never looked competitive in that game after halftime. Or really going into halftime. You know, I don't really got a problem with the rankings, but I really just want to see Bama play uh, Georgia again. Just running back. I mean, I, I, mean, I like the matchup. These are some good matchups, but it's just like, bro, if I if I get Georgia versus Alabama in the Natty, I'm, I might not watch it. Not going to lie to you. I feel the same way, too. I ain't going to lie. I go like we missed out. I mean, Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State went to bed and caused us to miss the best matchup would have been Georgia, Ohio State. So, as I seen that that wasn't gonna happen, kind of a kind of a little. The only major storyline that I see in this in the playoff is whether or not Cincinnati can upset Alabama. Because anything else, like Michigan, Michigan, Georgia, like who really wants? I hate how Michigan plays. Honestly, like all that pound the rock stuff, counter power inside zone. Nobody wants to watch that for four quarters, bro. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, it's gonna be Georgia's a real like, 1980s game. That's what I'm saying. Like the Olympic game. Like nobody wants to watch that. We want to see high flying out. We want to see Bryce Young. We want to see CJ Stroud. Even we want to see Desmond Ritter. But that particular game, uh, uh, CJ McNamara versus Stetson Bennett, turn it off. Bro. <laughs> That's my CCV, bro. You so sweet. You gonna you gonna you gonna be in front of the TV seeing it since it's a must watch. I'm going. I would. I, which game are you more likely to watch? Bama Cincinnati. Yes, yes, I big Big Ten football makes me sleepy, bro. I'm not watching that game. It'll be background noise. I'll probably be literally. I'll probably have it on my iPad. I'll be playing the game. Nobody wants to watch that, bro. Chances are Bama's gonna smack Cincinnati. That, that, that's yeah. like it's a good chance that's gonna happen. I, I mean, we had like Cincinnati didn't play Georgia tough, really tough last that was year. A year ago, bro. Bro, okay, that was a year ago. Okay. I mean, no, I got, no, 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 I got no, no. faith in Cincinnati, but this Alabama offense and this, more particularly, this Alabama defense is still cream of the crop. So, talking about these matchups, we see them now, we know them now. Who do y'all like in each matchup? And give me a quick explanation why. Uh, you go first, man. Man, listen, Bama Cincinnati. There's literally one matchup, and it's gonna be the main matchup. This is the only chance Cincinnati has to win the game, and that's Sauce Gardner. Best quarter in the nation versus Jameson Williams, the best wide receiver in the nation, maybe the best player in the nation. He hasn't gotten any Heisman consideration, but the way he's hooping, he's carrying Alabama just like uh, Devontae Smith carried him last season. But with that being said, that's going to be a matchup where if he can hold Jameson to under 100 yards, it's going to be scary, especially with um, the other receiver tearing his ACL, uh, John Mitchell. Yeah, so I mean, this Alabama still has weapons, bro. But when you take away one of the most explosive weapons, you only have one explosive weapon left. The other guys are good receivers, possession receivers. Now, guys that can take the top off, where you uh, let's just say Sauce and Jameson counsel each other out. Who's going to be that other weapon for Alabama? That's going to 
take the top off of a, a really good Cincinnati defense. I'm not sure. With that being said, I think Bryce Young is the weapon that's going to take the top off, and he's going to be the game changer. And uh, give me Bama in that game. Michigan, Georgia. Josh, you're not lying. That's going to be a boring-ass game. With that being <laughs> said, mm, bro, that's all, Michigan caught fire late. I think they're really on fire. I think – I believe in Harbaugh. Give, give, give me Michigan, believe it or not. Mm, I mean, that's good for you. I, Jim Harbaugh's a, a really, really, really weird guy, but he did get that monk off his back and saved himself probably millions of dollars by beating Ohio State. But I can go with the Michigan-Georgia game just to get that one out the way, too. Like you, like I said, hopefully that's the first game because I'm not trying to watch that at 10 o'clock at night just to be transparent with y'all. But um, it's still two very competitive, hard those football teams. Talk about, you know, Michigan, Hassan Haskins ran through what we consider one of the – well, not one of the best, but one of the best teams in American Ohio State. Five touchdowns, almost 200 yards. Um, if he had been, I don't know, not playing, if he just had a little bit more national recognition um, throughout the season, that could have been a potential high in the moment. But I don't think he replicates that success version that Georgia defense. You talk about Nicobe Dean, Adam Anderson, Jordan Davis, the list goes on and on. No need to go too more in depth on that one. I don't think that Kay McNamara or JJ McCarthy has enough firepower or offensive weapons to defeat that Georgia defense. And honestly, I'll be surprised that they scored more points than. Prairie did in the slate championship, though. So, Georgia, that would take the points, have you want to play it. But this Alabama Cincinnati game is just, it looks, a, I think it's a lot more interesting. Not to, I don't necessarily that you guys may be taking it. I understand why y'all feel the way y'all feel. Vegas feels a very similar way. I don't think I will ever see another two touchdown underdog in the CFP again. But this is a really interesting matchup. You got guys, Cincinnati is not your typical, this is not Northern Illinois with Jordan Lynch. This is a, like a, a power five level team of power five level power five level talent on in every game in every uh, unit. Talking about the D line, the O line, the secondary. You mentioned guys like Sauce Gardner, running back rooms, guys like Jerome Ford that come from uh, that came from uh, Alabama, and then talk about Desmond Ritter who uh, could potentially be a day one, a day two quarterback. So, man, I don't. Everything sensible is telling me to take Alabama, but just because of what they just did to Georgia, but. I'm going to take them. I'm going to still be sensible. I really like Cincinnati. I really like them a lot. I picked them to cover those two touchdowns. And I think that the the, the performance they'll have will open a lot of people's eyes about well, the kind of football that's played outside of the power six, outside of the power five. But at the end of the day, you know, any, I would have picked them against any other team in this playoff except Alabama. You talk about Bryce Young. You talk about Jameis Williams. You talk about Brian Robinson, that dominant O-line up front. I think it'll be just a little bit too much to handle for uh, the Bearcats. So I'm going to jump in. I'm going to hop on the Bama train, too. But I will say, just like Josh said, I don't think this is a two-touchdown, two-possession game. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think it will be. And I think that would especially be the case if Cincinnati can get Jerome Ford going. Jerome Ford, that running back, we saw what he did in the AAC championship game. And you also got to remember, this is a guy that transferred from Alabama to Cincinnati. So he's got some personal on this game. And if they can get him going, I think Cincinnati can make this game super close, super competitive. Because if you look at this Cincinnati offense, it isn't just Desmond Ritter. It's Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford putting in work in that backfield. Ford is a 100-yard uh, per game rushing. So if they can get that uh, run game going offensively, I think they can give Bama some trouble. But like Vance said, Bryce Young is expected in this game. We've seen the records he's broken, the big-time games he's had throwing the football. I think this will be another game for Bryce Young, maybe not putting up the big numbers, but making the plays that are necessary to win against a very stingy Cincinnati defense. And then moving on to the UGA-Michigan game, I think you look at this game, it's going to be a defensive, hard-hitting football game. And I like UGA for one reason, but the biggest X factor in this game is Stetson Bennett. If Stetson Bennett can come out and perform in a big-time game, which I haven't seen him do yet, you look what he did versus Alabama, 29 for 48, 340 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. That's not going to win you a game versus Michigan. Every position has to count, and he has to lean on his defense if he wants to come out successful. Take advantage of his opportunities, short field, turnovers, all of that, and then put drives together when it really matters. Answer, answer a score with the score and just keep that offense moving throughout the game, eat up the clock. And 
I think personally, if Georgia can get up two possessions on Michigan, I think that's ball again. Force Michigan's quarterback to be a player. And I think that's what it is. Let me yeah, let me like, ask y'all, let me ask y'all this, bro. If you're 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 the head coach, you Kirby Smart, who you starting, Stetson Bidding or JT Daniels? Stetson Bidding, bro. Gotta keep it consistent. Gotta keep it consistent. Can't switch up a quarterback now. Everybody's been talking about how high the ceiling is with this Georgia offense with with JT Daniels, and I really don't believe it. Honestly, he has a little bit of a big arm, but he's not as mobile, and he doesn't have the same chemistry with these receivers and his running this offense in general that Stetson Bennett has. You know, we talk about um, like Nick said, we talk about continuity and um, making plays. And Stetson Bennett has both of those in abundance. The ability for him to make plays outside of the pocket and extend uh extend drives and extend offense extend offenses for the for this Georgia defense, which isn't the most explosive um offensively in the receiver room. Um it's an added dimension. I don't think that uh I don't think that Jason Nell can uh, can replicate those uh, those efforts. Okay, so you guys both picked Georgia. Give me a final score. I'm gonna ask again uh the week before, but give me a final score right now. Georgia versus Michigan. You got it. 28. 28-10. That's crazy. I'm going to say the same thing, actually. 28-10. Okay, final score for Alabama-Cincinnati. Uh, 35-28. 31-27. actually. I'm thinking like 51-28. I don't think they're going to stop uh, Alabama, but okay. I mean, Sauce Gardner is probably the best DB in college football right now. So, I mean, if anybody going to slow down James Will- Jameson Williams, it's going to be him. And then John Major's towards the- – I mean, they're all like 17 guys waiting in the wings of Alabama to, to go off in the national championship game. But still, though, it's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in the Cincinnati team. You know, Lou Fickle has set a culture at that school coming from Ohio State. And they have tried for years now to go out and get those big games. You talk about a Georgia last year. You talk about a Notre Dame this year. Even an Indiana at the start of the season, where we thought that they were going to be a top twenty-five team. So they haven't been they haven't been afraid to play anybody. They haven't been shy about their expectations of getting into the playoff. And I think that this team has like any other team in this playoff. I might pick Cincinnati, but they just happen to run up in the Grim Reaper and Nick Saban. So it's tough. This would have been a perfect year to have eight teams in the playoff. Really? Yeah, it would have been, but you know, too much light right, honestly. Every college football season, we know how the coaching carousel goes. People get fired, people get hired. But so far, the carousel has been crazy. It's been a lot of hires in college football. We're going to go through them a little bit for y'all today. So just looking at the new hires, Brian Kelly takes his talents to LSU. Lincoln Raleigh goes to the West Coast and USC. Mario Cristobal heads all the way across the country to Miami. Brett Venables finally gets a head coaching job in, in Oklahoma. Marcus Freeman takes the job in Notre Dame. And Billy Napier takes his talents to Florida. So looking at all these hires, which hire do you guys like the most? Um, I've definitely got to go with the Lincoln Riley USC hire. You know, they seemingly pulled a rabbit out of their, uh, their ass in terms of finding a guy that wasn't available. Even, you know, I would say Brian Kelly wasn't super available at Notre Dame, but – Lincoln Riley is a guy. He was that Oklahoma is a job to where, especially with the recruiting ground, the status of the program, and just the the pedigree of OU. That's a job that you go to, you retire at, a la Bob Stoops. But um, to parlay that into another historical job with more money and an even better location, and also a guy that seemingly is a perfect fit in terms of high octane, you know, QB happy offense. Um, yeah, I think USC will be on top sooner rather than later. And I definitely think that – I mean, you already see it on the recruiting trip. They've already had at least eight or nine guys flip from OU to USC. And you're talking about just – that's just the guys that are following Lincoln directly. You don't even talk about, you know, get around California, a la Penny Hardaway, and actually win. I think that USC can return to those uh, those P. Carroll days very soon. And kind of piggybacking off your Lincoln Riley point, because that's what I think is the best hire as well. That hasn't been an elite quarterback in the Pac-12 since Justin Herbert. And before Herbert, maybe Marcus Mariota was the last elite quarterback. Josh Rosen, even even though he didn't win. Josh Rosen, Sam Donald, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It hasn't just been that elite quarterback prospect to come out of the Pac-12, especially in terms of Heisman consideration. And what does Lincoln Riley bring to USC? 
two Heisman winners and a Heisman finalist at the quarterback position. So I think Lincoln Riley can come in, bring that Oklahoma offense, a defense that was starting to get going in his last season at NOU. And I think he can turn this USC program into something special. And honestly, I think this was the perfect hire for USC to get their program back on track and back to where they want it to be. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln Riley seems like the obvious answer, but I'm going to go with another hire that, that was probably the most important. It was the most important hire out of all the hires, and that's Brett Venables at uh, Oklahoma. With uh, uh, Clemson, been one of the most dominant defenses, dominant programs in the past five to ten years besides Alabama. They probably was, what, the second most dominant? It probably goes Alabama, Clemson, then everybody else, especially mm-hmm. in the last five. And uh, he, he's a defensive, defensive – he was a defensive coordinator at Clemson, and he's going to bring something to Oklahoma that hasn't been at Oklahoma literally since we've been alive, and that's defense. <laughs> and uh, the offense is always going to be the offense. I feel as if you can intimate the plan. A recruiting won't be a problem. He recruited at Clemson. Now he's going to go recruit, recruit at Oklahoma. He can recruit nationally. He doesn't have to stick around, stay local. He can if he wants to. But I think that's a really good hire – for him to go to Oklahoma. And um, I feel as if a dark horse, that would be uh, just moving Mark Freeman uh, to the head coach of Notre Dame. Uh, like I said, Notre Dame, their schedule isn't really that hard. You just got to be one or two, maybe top 10 teams, top 25 teams, and you make the college football playoff. That's all they have to do. Win 11-1 this year. I mean, it, nobody was expected. Usually Cincinnati, the group of five team, the best group of five team doesn't get in. So that's why usually would have went to Notre Dame just this year. You couldn't deny Cincinnati. So I feel as if that's also a dark horse uh, spot because Notre Dame can recruit nationally just like Oklahoma. Yeah. I think, to be honest, bro, I think the two you named are also very good hires because Marcus Schumann being moved up, there was a lot of buzz about him getting a head coaching job elsewhere. And I think it speaks volumes to Marcus Freeman that even though Brian Kelly left, the majority of Notre Dame assistants are staying at Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman. Fact. So it's really just a new head man. <laughs> and I think that Notre Dame program could be very successful under Marcus Freeman. That Brian Kelly <laughs> hiring, bro. Give me a give me a letter grade. Boy, that that's a D minus. You so disrespectful. You disrespectful. It's at least a C Borderline plus. F. Bro, Brian Kelly is not a winner. He's a regular season winner. He's not a big game winner. Bro, think about it, bro. Last year, COVID year, everybody. If this is Notre Dame's best chance to make, you know what I'm saying, a college football playoff run, they play in the ACC schedule because, you know, COVID, everything, you know, you got to play within your conference, yada, yada. This man got embarrassed. You beat Clemson early in the regular season without Trevor Lawrence. Okay, cool. That's cute. Whatever. Yeah. I guess what happens when you play Clemson in the ACC championship with Trevor Lawrence. 34 to 10. Get your little sorry ass. Right. And then, you know what? The committee is nice to you. They put you in the playoffs, but you got to play Alabama. That's what happens. 31-14, get your little sorry ass out of here. When has Brian mm-hmm. Kelly ever been competitive against a, against SEC competition or against cream of the crop competition? I'm not seeing it, bro. This is a terrible hire for LSU. Like, this program is going to be stuck at the bottom of the, of the SEC, all mm-hmm. because of Brian Kelly. And then Oklahoma and Texas come in. They, they, they might be better than Texas, but Oklahoma is going to take them over. Overtake them, especially if they realign the conferences and it's uh just LSU and the Mississippi schools. Hey, well, who else? Arkansas, Missouri. Yeah. I think Oklahoma gonna run the SEC West. That's um that's real disrespectful. Why? Well, all right, all right. Let me ask you this then, Josh. True or false? Brian Kelly will win a national championship at LSU. The last two head, the last three head coaches at LSU have won a national championship. True or false? Brian Kelly will make it four in a row. I can see it. Like you gotta think about it. He was at no, true or false, bro. I ain't trying to hear no no essay. But this is what we supposed to do. But this is the whole podcast. Like we're supposed to give our analysis, my boy. What are you talking about? Just straight hey, up. Let, let me hear your answer hold, first, hold. and then give your reason. Okay, I say true. 
you know, you're going from Notre Dame, a place with high academic standards, a place in the middle of Ohio that's really hard to recruit to. And also you have a lot of different things, external factors to talk about on Notre Dame campus that makes it very unattractive and much less attractive in the SEC school. Like Notre Dame, you have to stay on campus in the dorms all four years. They have like very high academic standards to get into Notre Dame. That's why they have to recruit nationally because there's no real fertile recruiting grounds around middle of earth Ohio so they got to go each and everywhere to get the recruits Brian Kelly transitioning to LSU and really Baton Rouge anybody that he needs in terms of talent wise is going to be within a hundred mile radius of that campus and they're going to want to go to that school so I don't think you can under uh, I don't think you can discount just the amount of talent that he's going to be able to have access to so I understand y'all concerns about how he looked at Notre Dame but honestly I think that's the way that he recruits and the way that um the talent that he'll be able to establish and the, the culture that he'll be able to set will be way different at LSU at Notre Dame just because it has to be I mean you're talking about a guy going from you know like I said, I don't, we know the South Bend, Indiana to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Like, there's going to be, it's, you're not going to be able to be the same guy regardless. Now, you need to start faking that accent. That might be a problem. Yeah. But I just think bro, Chad, that alone tells you how his recruiting is going to go, bro. Bro, bro, this, bro, like, you got to think about it, Nick. Like, any, he's going to be the the same, a similar case with Lincoln Riley. He just needs those gates around New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and the state of Louisiana in general. And it's going to be way easier for him to do it in that state than it is for Lincoln Riley to do it in California just because of, populist and personality because California people they think a little different than people in the south people you go, you, we all know all from the south guys from the south Wait, hold on. they want Tom you're not gonna say you're not gonna say Brian Kelly is gonna out recruit Lincoln Riley I didn't say Lincoln that. Riley I said did I said it's before. gonna be easier it's, it's gonna be easier for Brian Kelly to get in-state recruits than it is initially than it will be for Lincoln Riley because all those guys LSU still, still want to go to LSU even with how they've been playing. How many guys from California want to go to USC right now? Right now. I mean, I'm just saying Lincoln Riley was pulling West Coast guys to Oklahoma. Now that he at USC, guess where the West Coast guys going to go? USC, baby. Fight on Trojans. Okay. Easy like that. All right. If, if y'all are if y'all the number one recruit, how would you guys uh, go around the process? Would you do it based on the campus, based on the school, or based on the coach? It's simple, bro. I'm going to go, one, where I got the best opportunity to play. Two is going to be based on the coach, you know, how to, how it feel, how the team feel. And then three, I mean, campus is nice, but at the end of the day, you got to realize you're a Division One football player. So it's not too much that's out of reach for you, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, so out, of, out of all the oh, – my bad, you can go, Josh. No, I'm just saying that, that sounds like a pretty – this sounds like a pretty accurate list in terms of, hey, like, where would I be able to get – where's my opportunity to get on the field as early as possible? Um, I don't know. I, the way I look at it, like, you are a Division One football player, but wherever you pick your school at, that is the place that you're going to live at for the next four years of your life. So I may put campus over coach, but honestly, they're interchangeable. So, I mean – a coaching job in recruiting is to sell you a dream. So a lot, you're going to be hearing a lot of the similar things for every coach that tries to recruit you, especially if I'm going to be the number one player in the country. So um, honestly, for me, that would be the big thing to where I didn't see where I would be most comfortable at. Um, mm. So, yeah. All right, Josh Crawford, you're the number one defensive tackle in the 2022 uh, class. Would you rather go play for Brian Kelly at LSU, Lincoln Riley at USC, Mario Cristobal at Miami, Brent Venables at OU or Billy Napier at Florida? Brian Kelly, LSU, no question. The, just mm. the culture that's in at that spot at LSU, just especially defensively, all the draft picks that they got, just being in that stadium, you know, USC, OU, like they all got great crowds, great stadiums, but there's nothing like being in Desert Valley for a night game in the SEC opponent. So, yeah, mm. that, I mean, it really wasn't that hard for me, honestly. What about you, Nick? Well, I'm just going to say, you're talking about the atmosphere. Atmosphere is cool, but when you go like three and ten, you know, the atmosphere kind of starts to trickle down. But anyway, for me, no one receive. Guess where I'm going. What did he say? Going, going, back, back to Cali, Cali. I'm taking my talents to USC. Mm. I'm putting on, I'm putting on the burgundy and gold with the black cleats. Hey Vance, we gotta get the little button they got a while now. When uh, somebody says something lying, they'd be like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody started for that moment. Yeah, DJ D Ray, that was that was real lame right there for you, Nick, even for your <laughs> but so who, who do you think is the worst hire out of all the new hires? 
the worst. You talking about Venables, Kelly, Riley, Napier, Cristobal, and Napier. The worst. I mean, it's not. It's not really a bad hire per se on that list. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, my biggest thing is how will Billy Napier transition from power group of five team to SEC school? I know mean, a lot of people talk about him being the, the Wonder Boy and things like that and had a lot of success at uh, Louisiana. But, you know, this is the, you know, regardless of how we think about that transition, it's still a difficult one talking about planning the Sun Belt to go in the SEC each and every week. So uh, I don't want uh, I hate to say worse, but that's the one I had the most questions about. I'll say it like that. Understood, understood. And so to kind of wrap up this discussion a little bit, which one of these teams are going to win a national championship first? USC, LSU, Notre Dame. Uh, I'm not talking about national championship, like college football playoff. National championship. Uh, I'm going to say. Or you can throw a wild card in from the other new hires, but. I think USC because the Pac-12 is so weak. But I think that Brian Kelly still is not a super bad hire. But, I mean, you're going to be competing with Oregon every year. That's about it. You're talking about the SEC. You're talking about Oklahoma. You're talking about Alabama. You're talking about Georgia. So, if it, I don't think anybody steps into LSU right away and has, has competes for a national championship or wins one within two to three years. But you would see that's a realistic possibility, especially if they can get the amount of recruits that they uh, they have previously. So I think it's because of uh, strength of schedule. I say like that. USC has right to now. That. I'm gonna say Oklahoma, but they have to do it before they get to the SEC. If they if they get to the SEC, they won't win it for another ten years. Don't they go next year? No, 2025. Oh, okay. So they got they got three year window to win it, bro. That, I, they have the best chance. If they don't do it in the next three years, it's gonna be USC. I'm gonna go with Oklahoma for right now. I'm, I'm gonna go with USC too. Easier path to the playoffs. Riley's a proven recruiter, and I think USC is a program that isn't in terrible shape. They just need to take that next step into becoming dominant in the Pac-12 first, then being dominant on a national level. And I think USC can take that step. So with the new co- coaching carousel, there's gonna be a lot of high-profile players, as you guys know. The transfer portal is a really big thing. So I have I want to know you guys' opinions on three players and will they where will they play next season? First player is Caleb Williams, quarterback, Oklahoma. I think he stay at Oklahoma, bro. He established himself as a winner there. I, I think he stays. Same, me too. Brave Medibles is somebody that has over a decade experience at OU. Caleb Washington, Caleb Washington, Caleb Williams, somebody that's had instant success as a true freshman. I think it'll be a tough call for him to go anywhere else and try to replicate that success. Okay, Spencer Rattler, one more year of eligibility. Quarterback. Yeah, Oklahoma. yeah he has one more year of eligibility. Oh, uh, Before he I'll, goes pro, of course. I mean, I'm going to say, I can pick, I'll go with the, the Montreal Olilets or whatever CF, the CFL team that he wants to go to. Um, really hurt his draft stock. This will probably be the first time we've ever seen a guy go from projected number one pick to now. I think he would go day three, maybe be undrafted. Day three. Um, like, dude, like he's like no, I don't, I, I'll never see somebody hurt their draft like as much as he did. Like people talk about the argument all the time, the why guys shouldn't sit out. This is the reason why you should sit out and not play college football. Stuff like this can happen. So, I mean, he's a West Coast kid. You talk about Arizona State. You talk about Oregon. Anthony Brown was less than impressive. Somebody can come in there and give them an infusion of talent. Jaden Daniels at, at uh, Arizona State. I think he may declare for the draft, but um. I would, I don't know exactly, but I would just pick a a, a West Coast school and a Pac a Pac twelve school just because he can get get closer to home, get a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Spencer Allen. I think he ends up at Arizona State. Homecoming became a high school football star in Arizona, and now you had an Arizona State program that's currently headed by Jaden Daniels, a guy who threw ten touchdowns and nine picks this year. I think Spencer Rattler, if he can get his head on straight, will come in and be an instant improvement, and I think. But he's kind of the quarterback that Herm Edwards was looking for to lead the Arizona State team. You think about Manny Wilson, who was there two seasons ago. I think Spencer Riley can do a lot of the same things with his athleticism. But I think he brings another dynamic in as being a complete package as a passer. Mm. All right. And the last player is a Texas legend, the million-dollar man, Quinn Edwards. 
He has a one-year eligibility, assuming he goes pro. He's down to three schools, Texas, Texas Tech, and Baylor. So he has one year's eligibility. I thought he was a freshman. Oh, be, before he goes, no. So he left. He left early in high school. So basically, after next season, he'll basically be considered a junior in like that in that oh. January in January next January mm. he'll be considered a junior. Oh wow! I think out of those three schools, I think Texas Tech is for him. Wants to go home, go back to the state of Texas. Uh, we talked about uh, Joey McGuire and his connections. I think that works out, you know, seamlessly. Think about what Pat Mahomes did at Texas Tech some years ago. Then Quinn Ewers can come on and be the next face of that Texas Tech program. Mm, I would uh, I'll go with Texas again as well. And I don't know, it's just kind of like uh, you know, our big state school, University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Despite their consistent underachieving, they continue to get recruits. And I think that um, I think Sark can can do a good job convincing Quinn Ewers that. You know, this will be a good fit. They got guys like James Worthy. They got guys on the perimeter for uh, Longhorns to make plays, for him to show off that good arm. I, it will be interesting to see what they do with uh, the starting quarterback there right now, Caleb Washington, Casey Washington, um, who looks really good, and I think he's only a sophomore. But we're not talking about just any other old five-star recruit. We're talking about literally the number one guy in the country right now. Uh, the down the street. This comes from uh, down the street in Southlake. So, um, Sark has shown the ability to recruit to get high-profile guys in there and not win. And I think that I think Quinn Ewers goes to Texas and probably still only wins eight or nine games, mm. which will be a success for them, honestly. Bowl season is among us, so you know it's a lot of bowl games, lawnmower bowls, radio bowls, all of that. But what we gonna do? We gonna tell y'all our favorite bowl game matchup and the one we think you should definitely tune in to. So I'm going to get it started. I outside the college football playoff bowl game. So the bowl game I'm most excited for is the Alamo Bowl, a 10-2 Oklahoma taking on a 10-3 uh, Oregon team. You look at these two teams, Oregon lost in, the, in their conference championship. Oklahoma blew their chance to play in their conference championship and even play in the college football playoff. So both of these teams are teams that are were right on the bubble of playoff contention, but they just couldn't get the job done. So they They've got something to prove coming into this game. But I'm really interested to see how this Oregon defense and Kayvon Thibodeau stacks up against Caleb Williams and this Oklahoma offense. Oklahoma has playmakers on the perimeter and all over that offense. And we know what Oregon is capable of on the defensive end, especially in their win over Ohio State. So I think this will be a good game for both teams. And I think, I'm not going to give a prediction on them, but I'm just telling you, you need to be in front of your TV to watch this Alamo Bowl point blank series. Mm, mm, what you what say you, Mr. Laws? Uh, I'm gonna go with the Cheese Bowl. It's gonna be uh Clemson versus Iowa State, DJ uh Yuga Laley versus Brock Purdy. Uh in the backfield, it's gonna be the battle of a backfield. Both teams are coming out disappointing seasons. Iowa State started off hot, uh, a top five team, college football playoff team. Uh they've lost four of their last five. Now they're seven and five. Then you have a streaking Clemson football team. You know, one of two, uh, one of the best defenses. Actually, both teams are ranked in the top ten in defenses. Clemson at number nine, Iowa State at number ten. I think it's going to be a defensive battle. But one thing I'm looking for in particular is just to see how Clemson fi finishes off this season. You know, they start off really bad. Offense looked pitiful. But in their last in their last six games, this is what they've done: thirty points in South Carolina, forty-eight points on Wake Forest. 44 points on UConn, 30 points on Louisville, 30 points on Florida State, and that's I, I'm I'm really liking what I what I see from them. Uh, I I think if DJ Ugalele can turn the corner, it could be another Final Four appearance, college football playoff appearance for Clemson next season. Mmm, that's a. Uh... That's interesting because I mean a lot of people have been waiting on him to to show out and be really impressive. There were a lot of expectations going into this season, but especially with how well he looked versus Notre Dame last year. But I mean it's hard. I mean, there was a lot of expectations for a lot of quarterbacks this season, talking about DJU, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, and um, you know, all these guys seem to just fall a little bit short of what we expected from them. So I would just be a little careful, man, in terms of putting all your eggs in this, this quarterback. Oh, I ain't putting no eggs in no basket. That's why I said we're we going to wait to see. Oh, I mean, that's a fact. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. But uh, for my bowl game, 
I'll have to pick a matchup that ha- has happened two out of three past years, and that's, uh, that's Baylor Ole Miss. And you talk about that game, the Sugar Bowl, uh, a New Year's Six Bowl, that'll be a uh, it'll be an interesting matchup in terms of strength on strength. Baylor has one of the best defenses in uh, college football. You talk about up front, you talk about in their secondary, where with the that's really stymie, uh, a really momentous Oklahoma State offense. And uh, you're talking about defeating OU as well, which is the aforementioned offensive guru, Lincoln Riley. So they have shown up big in big games against some very explosive offenses. But that being said, I don't think they faced a quarterback as, or offense in general as talented as this old Miss offense with Matt Corral. So, you know, it'll be a very interesting matchup. You got guys like Abram Smith, who's led the, uh, led the Big 12 and rushing over 1,300 yards after transitioning from linebacker last season. So, and then you got um, – this is offensive talent over the field, but it's not going to be one of those games that's going to – I don't think that's going to end up being like 59-51 shootouts, whoever has the, the ball last type of games. There's some legitimate defensive uh, prospects. Both teams had a really good defense, old Mrs. defense. It's been a little bit shaky, but um, they beat a team in Texas A&M that has, very, has a very similar makeup to, uh, to Baylor. Talk about what a dominant run game and so-so quarterback play. Although, you know, Blake Shaven just completely showed out versus Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. So in terms yeah, of – but man, it should be back to a bowl game, man. Big hmm. Shout out, man. We just work teams your ball type shit. But um, I definitely think that uh, this is – for me, this is the most interesting game and just in terms of matchup styles and who can – who's uh, whose strength will win out. So, um, I guess I won't predict it either just because either one of y'all did. But I definitely like – I would like – I want to see Matt Corral against what potentially may be the best defense he's faced this year. What do you guys – let's say you guys are a, a day one prospect for the NFL draft. Would you guys sit out a bowl game? You're not playing the college football playoff. Y'all had a disappointing season. Y'all went nine and three, eight and four, but you're projected to be a top 30 pick. All right, would you guys sit out the bowl game or yes. would you guys play? Yes, I would sit it out because they hold no value once you get outside the playoff. Like, I mean, I don't I mean nine and three, eight and four. I don't see myself going to a New Year's Six Bowl. And even then, like, there's just too many examples of guys. Like, we look at Jalen Smith now, we look at Jalen Smith's career now. But I think a lot of people forget that he got hurt in his uh, his bowl game for, for Notre Dame. And what like this kind of different player that he would be if uh if that injury hadn't happened to him. He missed what his whole first year with Dallas, and he dropped him with a, a top top ten, top fifteen guy to get drafted. I think it was the second round, I think, Vance. So it's just it's too much to risk. There's not enough upside. And just from a, a pure business perspective, it doesn't make any sense for a lot of these guys to go out of these bowl games. Mm-hmm. Well. I would say I would play, and that's only if I'm, like, 100% healthy. I feel good going into the game. Like, if I got a lingering ankle issue, you know, I pulled my hammy a couple of weeks ago. I'm battling back from that. I wouldn't play. But if I'm healthy, I'm good to go. I'm going to play. It's like I didn't play the whole season. God forbid I get injured in this one game. But I'm going to go ahead and try to put on a show. It's, it's really your last college game. You know what I'm saying? The last yeah. game with that group of guys. So, I, I definitely play. Yeah, bro. It's just like I'm just, it just made me think of the matches y'all threw out. Uh, Josh mentioned Ole Miss, Macarell may not even play. That's just assuming he plays. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a very good point, Vance. Now you know how we always do it. Wrap up every episode with our game balls, and I'm going to go first. I got to get my game ball to number 42, Jaron McVay, Baylor safety. Made the game-winning tackle on fourth and goal with 24 seconds left in Baylor's uh, Big 12 conference game, conference championship game versus Oklahoma State. A stretch uh, play by the running back got bounced outside. Guess who's better make the tackle for him out of bounds? Jaron McVay, big-time play, secured Baylor's Big 12 championship win, and he finished the game with nine tackles. A great game for him. So he's got to get my game ball. Big-time players make big-time plays. Mm. What say you, Mr. Vance? Mm. You know who just got a $17 million contract? Who's that? Ed Orgeron for being bought out. I'm going I'm to give the my game ball to uh, college football head coaches. $94.4 million. That was the amount of buyout money that was spent this season in, in December and November. Ed Orgeron, $17 million. Dan Mullen, $12 million. Gary Patterson, $12 million. Clay Hilton. Jeez. Georgia Southern head coach, $10 million to move to Georgia. Jeez. Hey, bro, pay me. Justin Fuente, $8.7 million. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 coaches were paid over $3 million to be bought out. 
Hmm. Uh, you 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 gonna pay me not to work? Okay, cool. Uh, game ball. Hey, that's a very good point. Uh, just talking about the coaching hires in general. Got to you know, this is a, a pro black show. We celebrate black men. Got to throw Mel Tucker and uh, my boy Marcus Freeman in there just because you know getting to that bag as a black man. And James Franklin too, yeah, because a lot of people thought he was gonna be the guy for that USC job too as well. So thank you, Nick. Yeah, tell him to count my money. But uh, continuing with the theme of uh, being a black show, we got to celebrate. Well, not one of the few, but one of you know something that does still look a little bit um I don't know a little bit weird in my eyes having a black guy be the quarterback at uh, Alabama and having a lot of success doing it. I'm talking about Mr. Bryce Young, which seems to be um, the Heisman winner after the performance that he had against uh, Georgia in the SEC championship game. This is a defense that, like I said earlier, I, if I had if I had a vote, I would just literally put Georgia defense as a collective unit as my high would and have all 11 guys come except the trophy. And uh, for him to have 300 yards and one half of offense, which hasn't been done since Cam Newton was at Auburn in 2010. I think we all remember how dominant Cam Newton was during his Auburn time to speak to the, the amount of, uh, the amount of, greatness that Bryce Young put out on that field uh, on Saturday. Talking about a defense that's given up a little less than a touchdown each game, 6.9 points per game. You know, when you go against a defense like that, that's been battling talk about a potentially great dynastic type of defense. And A, you don't have any turnovers or any sacks. That just lets me know the type of the ball that Bryce Young is because they were coming for him all day and he was able to make plays inside the pocket, make plays outside the pocket, and do a lot of things to keep that Alabama offense afloat where the run game wasn't, you know, doing the best job. Brian Robinson, only 55 yards. Bryce Young had 40, 40 yards of his original touchdown himself. So for him to come in with Nick Saban and those uh, say, those Alabama guys being a touchdown underdog, which I said, I think I told you in the group chat, I don't believe in that. I don't care how you feel about Alabama. You never should put them as that big of an underdog. But Bryce Young to show up and show out and have that good of a game against a defense that a lot of people thought that couldn't happen against, you get my game ball. A QBR, 98, 98 QBR against Georgia. That doesn't even sound right. So, you know, I think that he firmly wrapped up the Heisman. And it'll be tough, but I think that in that potential rematch in the national championship game, I think Alabama has to be favored. So, anyway, let's wrap this episode up. Appreciate y'all. Make sure y'all like, comment, subscribe, and stay tuned with us. We're going to be with y'all all bowl season, all NBA season. We ain't going nowhere. So lock in with us. Make sure y'all hit subscribe, and we out here. Boom, baby.